My pleasure to come up here. I always enjoy coming up here and your good song service, your singing, and people that attend. I, I couldn't help but notice this morning there's a number of people wearing cowboy boots this morning. A lot of the kids I saw up here, and so I thank you for that. If I'd have known that, I'd have brought mine with me and I'd have wore them here in the stand this morning. So I should have been, t- I didn't anticipate that, I, but I thank you. I think that's uh, nice. I don't know whether you intended or not, but I'm. Uh, I'll take that as a positive sign, and thank you for being here. Greetings from Texas, especially West Texas. We, you know, we're from the I'm from the home country of uh, Brother Stephen originally, and and uh, have a lot of fond memories of being with him in West Texas. I want to visit with you this morning. I've got a scripture in mind, but before I get to my scripture. Uh, I'd like to open with a little bit of show and tell. Y'all know I do that from time to time. So I've got a couple of things this morning. I've got this, and I think probably many of you have seen one of these. A little piece deal. It's got a glass and a bubble in the minute in the middle of one on each side. You almost, you know, that's a level. And if you want to see whether you got the podium level or a picture level, most people have seen one of these. I, I've got one of these at home. I've got a couple of them. Mine are longer, the big long, kind of about a, almost a yard long. Long, Great benefit, especially if you're hanging pictures or wanting to get something level. But carpenters use them quite regularly to build with. Uh, I didn't think they'd let me have my three-foot one on the plane. So I brought this one just to make a point about, you know, this is uh, a great invention. It's very simple. You know, a little bubble in this water tube. And when you get it level, well, the bubble's right in the middle between those two hairlines. So it's a great, a great tool for carpenters. And these have only been used for about the last 60, 70 years, probably in the 1930s and 40s when they started coming in, in about the 50s and 60s. And all carpenters have them, and they all still have them today. And you'll go on a construction site somewhere, and everybody will have one of these. My question is, how did they get things level before we had a level? How did we get things squared, you know, and, and, and erect buildings, especially some of the taller buildings we did, before we had what we call a level? Well, they had something else. It's a little bit different than that. Again, I've got one more thing to show you. This is what they used before they had the levels. They had this little device. I heard it called out. This is what's on the, the weight on the bottom is called a plummet. Now, you know, it's just like when you drop it down, it's like you plummet off a building or something. That's where it gets its name, plummet. But it's shortened to be called a plumb. And of course, it's attached by a line, string that runs straight down it. And when dropped, it's heavy enough. You use this out of your brass or lead or something, a very heavy metal. And it pulls that straight down. And together, they're called a plumb line. You know, it's a plummet, but they shorten the plumb, and then you put it on the line, it's called a plumb line. And this has been used since back when the Egyptians were building buildings in Egypt. Back 4,000 years ago, they started to develop these, and everybody's been, a lot of them, been using these. And they still use them today. You know, if you go on a construction site, I, when I was in the uh, seventh grade, I believe, uh, my parents... I bought a house, and right next to it, they were building other houses. And one of the builders that came over was also a deacon in the church that my dad knew quite well. And the kid, I would go over and watch them build every day, you know, building these buildings. And, and as they do it, they finish the building, and they build a brick wall. I mean, the brick, brick the outside of it. 
And I remember he hired me for 25 cents an hour. I was more than I was worth probably then. But I would pick up all the, you know, they had to saw everything by hand. Didn't have the power tools today, days, so everything was done by hand saw. I'd go around and pick up all the scrap and lumber and get it out of their way and throw it into a pile. And that was kind of my job. Run errands, be a gopher, as they call them, and do that. And I was there the day that the bricklayers came. And they hollered out. And <clears throat> Brother Morris was, that's who I called him, you know, he, he, uh, they, the bricklayers hollered out at him and said, Morris, we need a plumb line. They were getting ready to lay brick. And so they got to the corner of the house, and I'm going, what's a plumb line? <laughs> you know, and they got to the corner of the house, and he got up there, and, on, on, you know, and they built a, a little holder up for it up there, and he, he put this up there, and he dropped it straight down like that, on where they were exactly where they wanted it, put it in the exact spot they wanted it, so that they could build the wall, the corner especially, straight in a straight line, and they had that strength there so they could bring the brick up to one side and down the other, and they had that as a plumb line. Uh, these days, they will even have them where you can have them now. You know, it's been this longer than now. It's been 34 years. They soak these in chalk, so when you get it stretched, then you can pop it, and on the, uh, uh, like a sheetrock wall or something, it will put a straight line that you can hang wallpaper by. Things. But it all starts with this. It's called a plumb line. This is a really interesting tool. Mm -hmm. It works off gravity. This is something that works because of what God created back in Genesis 1. When he set the earth in its place, <clears throat> and he set the stars in the sky, and he set everything in place. You know, you look, you think about the earth, it's sitting out in the middle of space. How does it hang there? How does the earth stay in that spot? You know, my son that Brother Stephen mentioned that just gave me a grandson here this last year, he was an aerospace engineering major. He went off down to the University of Texas and got a degree in aerospace engineering. And they had grouped his class into smaller groups, and his group had to plan a space shuttle trip to a distant planet. And I don't even know what planet it was, but some distant point in the stars and skies. And they had to route how they were going to go. You don't have enough fuel. You can't put enough fuel on the, on the rockets at that time to get you all the way there. So they had to take off and use the Earth and let it throw them, the centrifugal force or throw them up, and they'd go to the moon, it would circle around there, and they would end up going to about three or four different planets and then orbiting them and then using that planet's centrifugal force to throw them further out in space. <clears throat> once, of course, there's no resistance in space, and once it throws you out, it'll, you'd go for a long way, till, and you would aim toward the next planet. And I would go, and, how do you know where the moon's going to be when you take off? And how do you know where that next planet's going to be? He goes, well, they're there. That's the way they are. They're, I said, but they're moving all the time because, you know, the moon circles the earth and the whole solar system is moving. You know, he goes, well, I don't know. They're there. And I said, they're there because God set them in space. It says that in Genesis. He set the stars in the firmament. He placed them there. And they don't move. They're dependable. They're dependable because that's how we go to the moon. That's how we go trips to Mars is because God set them there. God created earth in such that, you know, I've got a plumb line here. And I'm here in Maryland, and when I drop that plumb line, it points directly to the center of the earth. It doesn't vary. It doesn't, whether I'm standing on level ground or, or, or wherever we are, this plumbing line points straight down. It's straight down toward the center of the earth. You know what? I can go over to Australia on the other side of the earth, and I can drop this plumb line. It ought to point the other way. You know, if, it, if it's pointing here, it ought to point away from the earth when you go to the other side. No, it doesn't. It points back to the center. No matter where you go, north pole, south pole, east, west, you drop that plumb line, it's going to plumb, drop directly to the center of the earth. 
This is how they set windows. You know, I can take it and, you know, you got to, <clears throat> you can put a bar up there and drop this from it. And even if the bar is crooked, you can, I can move that top bar, but that plumb, it still points straight down. If it's plumb, that's where we get to run. Make sure it's plumb. That means it's straight with the earth. It's perpendicular to the earth. And that's what that's for. You know, these have been used since, you know, way, I don't know when, but at least back in the Egyptians, that's how they built. That's how they built things straight. If you don't build a wall straight in a building, then it's going to have troubles one of these days. Foundation's going to collapse. Something's going to not work. And not only that, when you when you drop one plumb line down, I can move over here and drop another one, and I have the same point from the same level. I can measure it, and I can actually, that's how they level things even left to right. This starts off with a horizontal plumb that is plumb with the earth. Every time. It never fails. This is a perfect directional tool that will give you a perpendicular line with the earth. So no matter what you've got going, this one will work every time. And that's because of God's plan when he set the earth. That's how meticulous and what a wonderful job he did. You know, and you're going, well, Brother Don, that's real interesting. What's that got to do with a scriptural sermon? Well, those of you that have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to the book of Amos. The book of Amos is a, a prophet, one of the prophets, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. You know, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right before you get to the New Testament, the last set of books are the prophecies. Isaiah and, and Jeremiah and Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel are the major prophets. And then they are followed immediately by the 12 minor prophets. The first one is Hosea. The second one is Joel. The third one is Amos. In the book of Amos, that's where I want to talk to you about. And we'll go first to the seventh chapter. <clears throat> Let's begin with the seventh verse. Let me read these three verses here and then we'll back up and talk about them a little bit. And you'll see the reason for my little demonstration this morning. Amos chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. And Amos is talking, and he's talking about the Lord. He's seeing this vision the Lord is giving him. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line. The Lord is standing on a wall that was made by a plumb line. He's telling us it was made firm and square. This is a solid, perfect built wall. Made by a plumb line, and he said, and... He had a plumb line in his hand. So the Lord was standing on a wall that was made squid and square, and then he had another square, another plumb, in his hand. I'm sure it was better than this one, but similar to this. This is what Amos is looking at. You've got to know what a plumb line is before you can understand what this scripture is talking to us about. So he got a plumb line. He said he was on a wall that was made by a plumb line, and he had a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos... What seest thou? And I said, A plumb line. He said, Then saith the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them any more. And the high places of Isaac shall be desolate, and the sanctuaries of all Israel shall be laid to waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. The Lord is here is directing his attention at the nation of Israel at a time when Israel was getting far away from their worship of the Lord. They were worshiping pagan gods. They were living in, in times in which they were putting the church last priority and not worshiping the Lord like they should. And this is shortly before uh, <clears throat> before the nation of Israel was taken captive or invaded by the country of Assyria. And because of that, they took all the people out and, and removed them and blended them in with their population and the nation of Israel at that time 
those people, those Jewish people, Hebrew people that were there are now not pure blood anymore. They're gone. They've, they're, they're what was called one of the lost tribes. Now, before we get back to this, let's go back to the start. I want to go back to the first part of Amos, and let's talk about background about where we are with this. And we'll get back to the plumb line in a minute. I want to talk to you not only about one plumb line, but three plumb lines. Back Amos was a sheep herder. This is back in the days, and, and just to background real quick, you know, the nation, uh, the Holy Land over there was composed of the 12 tribes of Israel. Those were the 12 sons and grandsons of Jacob, who the Lord changed his name to Israel. So this was the nation, uh, the Hebrew nation, composed of 12 families, large families. Uh, you know, and I won't go through them now, but they were the sons and grandsons of Jacob. And they did real well. They had, they, they served as a nation, and they served under God, but they're like people get, like we all get, they decided they didn't necessarily want just God, they wanted to have their own king. They wanted to have their own king, and so you can go through that in, in Second Samuel. They had their, or First Samuel, they had their own king, they selected a, king, a man named Saul. Now the Lord let them have their own king, but Saul was not a very good king, and the Lord then raised up a man called David, King David, and made him king of all the nations. And David went and he served and he was a very good king and all the families got together and consolidated and he worked well under King David. He had some problems, but he was a very good king to his people. His son then, after he died, his son Solomon became king. You've all heard of King Solomon. Other than Jesus Christ, Solomon was the wisest man in the history of the world and he accumulated great riches and he built a magnificent temple and he was a good king over Israel even though he had some issues like all of us do that are human. He was a great king over Israel but when Solomon died about 930, 933 B.C. they couldn't select a new king. They couldn't go to get together and select a new king. A lot like our trying to run for office. You know, It's hard for all the people to come together. We're pretty well split in this country about who we want to be the next leader, who we want to be the next president. That's the way the nation of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel were at that time. What they ended up doing was they split into two countries. The northern, the, the 10 tribes, 10 families that had the northern part of the country, they went off and they retained the name of their grandfather, Jacob. Jacob and uh, his God had changed his name to Israel. They took the name of Israel. The lower two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, took the name of Judah. They had Jerusalem as their headquarters, as their country's uh, nation's capital. And up in the northern part of Israel, northern country, they chose Samaria as their capital. And so they became later known as Samarians. <clears throat> and when they, after that split took place, that's when these books of prophecies were written. All these books of prophets were, were going and preaching to either the nation of Judah, the Lord raised up prophets, get these two nations back under control, doing back what they're supposed to, following the Lord, following the Lord's guidelines. We had the nation of, of Judah, Israel on top and Judah on bottom. Amos was a small sheep herder at the time. He was a sheep herder just outside of Jerusalem, part of Judah. The Lord called him up. He, he raised sheep and he also tended to sycamore fig trees. And that's what he was. He wasn't a part of the high level of society. It's amazing who the Lord calls to be his messengers at time. But he calls Amos and told him, you're a, you're a member of one of the two tribes in Judah, but I want you to go up north into Israel and warn the people up there they need to come back to the Lord. They need to come back and make me their God. <clears throat> During this time frame from about 930 from Solomon died up until about 730 or 740. A couple of hundred years here. 
That's where Amos comes in. He's, he's coming in about in the middle 700 stage. He's trying to warn Israel. They don't know who's going to take them over. Assyria wasn't all that strong when he first came in. But Israel, as we know, Assyria will take over Israel. And they will take all those ten tribes of families, the rich people out, the, the prominent people out, and move them back to Assyria and blend them in with their people. They intermarried. They lost their identity as pure Jews, pure Hebrews. Now, the southern tribe of Judah was different, and they maintained their purity, even though they were captured later by Babylon. They maintained their ethnic purity and remained pure Jews. They came back to their country, and they continued on. And that's and when the New Testament, when we get to Jews and the Jews then, those were the pure Jews left over from Judah. But Assyria, Assyria took over totally the country of Israel at that time. Now they've taken that name back for today. But they took they they were taking they were about to take it over and the Lord is sending Amos one last warning send a last warning to them tell them to get back in line they're worshiping pagan gods after Solomon had got the country in wonderful shape for the next two hundred years they experienced a lot of prosperity a lot of people got very rich and you'll read it in Amos if you go through and read it all they all had summer homes as we call them today they had second homes they had lots of livestock lots of cattle they had great trees it talks about the wonderful cedars of Lebanon that they grew there. They all really very prospered very much. They had second homes up in the what's today the Goldland Heights up in the mountains. They all had kind of mountain states. They were doing well, but they were not following the God of the Lord's law. They were treating poor people terrible. It developed two distinct classes of people, the very poor and the very rich. And these rich people were not taking care of the poor people. They weren't doing what they were supposed to. So the Lord called Amos, Amos you're down here in the southern country, but I want you to go up into the northern country and prophesy to those people and tell them they need to go back and start following the law of Moses, uh, the good standard law of Moses, and following that law. So, you know, Amos did that. And when he went up there, he first of all started, if you'll look real quickly, just a couple of verses, chapter 1, verse 2. And this is what he told Amos to say. And he said, the Lord will roar from Zion Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. <clears throat> and the habitations of the shepherds shall mourn, and the top of Carmel shall wither. Mount Carmel was one of the main cities over on the coast in Israel. He said, The Lord's going to roar out, and he's going to come, and he's going to address people not following his law, people not following his directives back in the old law of Moses, as he's talking about here. And he goes through here, first of all, and, and Amos condemns some of the actions of the Gentile countries, not just the Jewish, but the Gentile countries. You know, those of us who are born Gentiles will identify with some of these. He talks about, verse 3, the country of Damascus, and then Gaza, and then Tyrus, and then Edom, and then Ammon, and then Moab, into chapter 2. And then he gets to, he condemns Judah in about two verses, and that's where he's from. But then starting at verse 6, he pronounces judgment on Israel. And he said, verse 9, Yet destroyed I the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of cedars. And he was strong as the oaks, and yet I destroyed his fruit from above and his roots from beneath. The Lord's saying, I can do all of this, and Israel, either get back in line, or we're going to bring you to your knees. That's what he told them. Over here in chapter 3, verse 11, this is where he's warning them. He doesn't tell them the country, but this is where he's talking about Assyria about to invade them, and which they did in 722. This is taking place approximately 750 to 7, 
740, 750. So about 20 to 30 years before this invasion does, in fact, the Lord backs off and Assyria comes in and captures and, and virtually wipes out what we knew is the nation of Israel, those 10 uh, tribes of Israel, who, uh, 10 tribes of Israel who composed of that northern country. We talk about, you've heard about the lost tribes of Israel. This is what happened. These, these 10 tribes were lost. Verse 11 of, of, of chapter 3, Therefore saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall even round about the land. Somebody's going to come and surround you and invade you. And he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy places, palaces shall be spoiled. Assyria's going to come in and destroy the whole nation. All you people that have, that have gotten rich and happy and resting in your laws and think all of this is because of you, I've blessed you, the Lord said. I've blessed you and I've taken care of you. I'm shortcutting a lot of this to get back to my point. But the people had become spoiled. And over here he tells them, he talks about the depravity of Israel in chapter 4. And he talks about the, the punishments, punishments have not been enough. In verse 12 then of chapter 4, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. It's a terrible warning when you hear the Lord telling you, prepare to meet thy God. And he says it in this manner, he's passing judgment. Beginning chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Hear ye this word which I take up against you, even lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. Israel, you're going down. You'll not be heard of again. You'll be blended in with the uh, Arab, the Assyrian nations, and we won't know of Israel again. The Lord is prophesying this through Amos. A very strong, dire message to them. It's what he's warning them about. Over here in, in verse 5, beginning about verse 18, I quoted from this, I think here a couple of years ago when I spoke about instrumental music in the church. While we don't have instrumental music in the church, Amos is one of the uh, places where we document this because this is what was taking place. These people in the Jewish back then, especially Israel, they had these feasts they had to follow. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, and they had they worshiped for seven days and celebrated these feasts. And they as David had done, David had introduced all sorts of musical instruments, violas and harps and everything into the church service, and they worshiped that way. They also, when they had these feasts, they had drank a lot of wine and they ate a, a, a lot of meals. <clears throat> But they got, let it get out of hand. Instead of worshiping the Lord, they let them. They turned them into parties, into drinking parties. And the music became music that they celebrated for themselves, a lot like we do our music. You know, I, I'm liable to turn on music at any time on my radio during the week. And I was a drummer in high school, and I liked the beat. And you know, I, I like music, and I like instrumental music, and I'll sing to it. That's for me. That's the pleasure of the flesh. And that's what they had turned the music of the Lord that David created into. For the flesh. And he gets over here and he starts in verse 18 of chapter 5. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. He's talking about the feast. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Down here at verse 21, he says, I hate, I despise your feast days. The Lord created those feast days. And he told them to follow them and worship them. And, and here's how to do it. You drink wine to him because it represents his blood, the blood. He, tell, and he, he talked to them and celebrated them. And now he's saying them, but I hate the way you do them because you've turned them into parties. I'm short in quoting this and putting it into today's language. He said, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assembles. 
They're supposed to be creating, uh, you know, fragrance that the Lord will, will love. You know, a fragrance that's, that's sweet to the Lord. Instead, they were doing all these things for themselves. They had turned the worship of the Lord into parties for themselves, for their own flesh. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offering of your, of your fat feast. Take away from me the noise of thy songs. Your songs are, you're not singing them to me. You're just making noise for yourself. He said, for I will not hear the melody of thy viols, your violins, your instrument, your instrument of music. I won't hear those melodies at all. I don't want, you know, those, those that David created to worship and actually dedicated to the Lord. You're now using them in, for, for music for yourselves. I don't want it as part of my service. In chapter 6, he starts off again. Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. All these people that had gotten rich off what the Lord had blessed them with. And then they still didn't go back to church. They didn't go back and thank him for them. They were thinking they all got that for themselves, by themselves. You know, a lot of times we see this in our world. You know, I, I get to doing well. Everything's going good with me. And I think, man, I'm doing great. It's because the Lord has blessed us. If you're doing good, it's because the Lord has blessed you. We need to thank him. We always need to give him the credit for that and approach that with humility. But chapter 6, when he said, whoa, then you get down to verse 5. He said, I woe unto them that chant to the sound of the viol and, and, and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. He is condemning the instruments of music that David created for worship because you're not using them to worship me. You're using them to worship yourself. And that's what we do. That's why I listen. You know, I'm a child of the 60s. I still love the Beatles and the Beach Boys. And I love to listen to them, you know, all the time. That's for my entertainment. When I come in the house of the Lord, I need to be singing to the Lord. Not to me. You know, it doesn't matter what we've talked about is what voice you sing with. The people say, well, I don't really have a singing voice. You sing with the voice that God gave you. He wants it to come from here. And he said, these people in Israel, now, they're singing for themselves. They're singing for their own pleasure, not singing it to me. And he said, and they drink wine in bowls. That means they're drinking wine heavily. And they anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the afflictions of Joseph. Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive and the banquet of them that stress themselves shall be removed. The banquet that you have had for yourselves, I'm taking it out. And that's what he said. He took away that worship service of the Old Testament that David had created with the music, musical instruments. And, and he took away the feast days. And we learned over in the New Testament, there's no authority in the New Testament for instrumental music. He wants us to sing from our hearts and melody from our hearts. That's one of the things that I wanted to point out. I talked about that, pulled it out of, in context, but pulled it out when I talked about instrumental music in the church. We get over here, and then in chapter 7 and 8, the Lord gave Amos four visions. Number one, he said there's going to be a plague of locusts. It's going to come and eat up all the crops in the country. You farmers think you're doing good. You've gotten rich off the farmland. With a little instrument like a locust, I can wipe you all out. It's what he's fixing to do. He's giving that vision. And he says also there'll be a fire. There'll be wildfires. We have wildfires in West Texas, and we've seen them across, uh, you know, how those can turn, you know, rich people's homes into ashes quickly. He's given Amos this about, you know, you think you're doing well? I can change all that in a hurry. He gives them a vision in verse 8 of a basket of summer fruit. The nation of Israel, you've gotten so high on yourself and, and lost all your humility. You're not helping the poor. You're exploiting the poor. He says, you're like a basket of overripe fruit. 
you are soon to rotten and, and, and turn bad. That's what he's telling them. Y'all look good right now because you're fresh, good-looking fruit, but you're fixing to start rotting, and that's what he's telling them. And then he also gives them this vision in seven, chapter 7, verses 7 through 9 of the plumb line. Let's go back in there. Now, he does later on say, I will restore Israel. He's talking about spiritual Israel. I'm not destroying it forever, but I, I will restore it at some point in time. So he ends on a positive note. But I want to go now. I just want to give you the history, the kind of background of what's going on here. Let's go back now to the, our, our scripture, and that's in verse 7, chapter 7, verse 7. Thus he showed me and beheld the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line. He's telling us the Lord has a wall here that is a perfect wall. He's talking about the law of Moses. God created the law. And several years ago, I preached about all the aspects of the law of Moses, and they were good. They were good for our benefit. You know, he told them what meat to eat. You don't eat the kind of meat that gives you all cholesterol and causes heart attacks and all that. We now do that, but we've got medicines that fix a lot of it. But everything he told them, he told them to be clean, eat clean foods, don't eat all those foods. And everything he told them to do was for their benefit because they didn't have doctors, they didn't have health, they didn't know how to live. And the law of Moses was good and it's solid and it was true, even down to how we act in our personal behavior. That's the wall. That's the wall that he built that he's comparing everything to. And he said, a wall built by a plumb line. He's talking about his law that he created. It's a perfect law. And our, the problem is we don't follow it. And that's what had happened to Israel. They got away from following the law. And he said he was, he was made by a plumb line and he had a plumb line in his hand. He had one of these in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And he said, a plumb line. He said, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people, <coughs> Israel. I will not, again, pass by them anymore. I'm going to come in with a plumb line, and I'm going to go through, and I'm going to measure everybody. Are you straight with the law? Now, how would any of you like for the Lord to come down and say, now, are you following my law? Are you following my commandments? And drop a plumb line down beside your, our moral, our ethical behavior? I wouldn't want it. I don't think I could handle it. I don't think any of us could. And, of course, we are told, if you go read the book of Romans and Apostle Paul, he says... You know, it takes righteousness to get to heaven. That means following the law, following the old law, the law of Moses. That's what it takes to get to heaven. In chapter, chapter 2 and chapter 3, but none of us can get there because none of us, we're all sinners. We all sin and come short of the glory. We all, we all don't have the righteousness it takes to get to heaven. And then Paul tells us in chapter 5, but Christ comes along and he substitutes himself for you. He takes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. What we have here that I want to talk to you about is there's three plumb lines I want to visit with you about. But this first one here is the wall. And he's going to come and this is what he measured. And this is what he measures everybody with. And they said right here is where he condemned. You'll hear this. If you hear this preached on by some of the other denominations, they'll tell you right here. I don't know where I put my glasses now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, right here, you'll have other dominants tell you that right here, he condemned Israel and they lost their eternal salvation because he compared them to the law. And that's what we've got to follow. And if you don't, you're condemned forever to hell. And look what he says. And the Lord said unto me, 
uh, he said, this is a plumb line. And he said, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people of Israel, and I will not pass by them anymore. I have let them get away with a whole lot. I'm not letting them get away with that anymore. I'm going to set a plumb line, and my judgment's coming. And you'll have it told that that's when the nation of Israel, those lost tribes, they lost their eternal salvation and are going to hell. But look what he says here. Then he said, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people. He didn't destroy them. He didn't take away their eternal salvation. He came in and corrected them for their wrongdoing. He disciplined them for not following the law, but he didn't take away their eternal salvation. He says, these are still my people. You know, you can go to the same thing, Second Chronicles 7.14, where he says, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, I will forgive them, and I will heal their lands. Right off the bat, he says, if my people, he's not talking to the whole world, he's talking about his people. And the same way here, he didn't take away their eternal salvation here. He he comes in and disciplines, and the Lord disciplines those that he loves. Now, what it cost them, it cost them this great blessing of today of being a nation, being a cherished nation of the Lord. He took that away from them. And that's what he, he took away here. He didn't change their eternal salvation because they're still his people. But that's the first plumb line we have is the law. We've all got to meet up to the law. But the second plumb line we have is Christ. When it comes time for true judgment, for eternal salvation, Christ, over Paul, Paul tells us, Christ steps into your shoes and steps in the way. And Christ says, when it comes, you measure the, measure my people with a plumb line, you step in and he steps in any place and we measure, he, he lines up with the plumb line for us. He substitutes his righteousness for ours. And we get him. Because of him, because he came. And he didn't, he said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. I will come and I will line up with a plumb line for all of you, for all of his people. And that's what he did. He steps in the way of our plumb line. And that's what uh, Paul tells us in the fifth chapter of Romans about. He came and he substituted himself. Because of his righteousness, many uh, were righteous after that because of him. That's what Christ does for us. That's how he is our plumb line. When it comes time for us to measure up eternally to the law of Moses, Christ came when he said, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And he fulfilled it for all of us in our behalf. And he took care of that. Our eternal salvation is set. It's secure. When it comes to eternal salvation, this is one of those stories where we get to skip to the end and we get to read the ending, and the ending is good. You already know what the ending is. It's good. You know? I don't know who's in the Lamb's Book of Life, and I don't know who are the children of God, but he tells me I can signs I can see, and all of y'all are up here on Sunday morning in this church here. I have assurances that you're children of God or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't take out this time and be here this morning. You're trying to follow the law as you knows it. But now what Christ has done is he has come and stepped in our shoes. He has fulfilled the law in our behalf. I will be, I'll measure up to the God's plumb line. I'll measure that up for you. He stands in our stead, in our, in our room. And, and when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the requirements of meeting up to God's plumb line. He was the ultimate sacrifice. The plumb line we're talking about here on an eternal basis, Christ fulfilled that and finished it. Now, that's the two. God's the law. Christ fulfilled that as a plumb line for us. Number three, you each have a plumb line inside you. As a child of God, 
you have that plumb line inside you and you get it. If you go read John chapter 3, when you're born again, when you're called, when you're regenerated, it changes you from the inside out. You become a new creature inside and you have a plumb line inside you. Apostle Paul tells us about, you know, I've got two natures. I've got man's nature, which we can't follow the law. And I've also got a spiritual nature. And sometimes I'll try to do one and I end up doing the other. I, 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 wanted, I know what I need to do, but I don't always get it done. That's we're all in that same boat. But we're over here and you'll tell it, you see in Jeremiah and then repeat it again in Hebrews. The Lord says, I'm not going to hold people to that old standard anymore where they all have to go teach everybody to know the law. And that's, it's a physical requirement of knowing the law. He said, now they all shall know me from the least to the greatest. I will write myself into their, I will put myself in their hearts and write my, into my law into their minds. They shall be to me to people and I will be to them a God. And no longer does he hold our sins and, and grievances against us. He puts himself in our heart. You have his law in your heart inside you. You have that plumb line inside you. <clears throat> and it's something that is there all the time. And it's what makes you, you think, well, if I've got a plumb line inside me, then why do I wander off every now and then? Well, we wander off now and then because that's our flesh nature coming out in us. But what you have is when you do something, you ever do something, you think, oh, I was, I was, I spoke to Brother Steve and I was a little ugly. I feel guilty. I need to go apologizing. That's your plumb line saying, Don, you're out of plumb. You need to go apologize to Brother Steve. And if somebody has treated me badly, and I'm going, I, I'm mad at him. I'm never going to forgive him. I'm never going to handle it again. That's what a plumb line will tell you. No, you need to forgive. And that's what coming to church is about, is to remind you, you've got a plumb line in here that you need to follow. You know, when, when Christ came along, he fulfilled that old law of 600 and something laws from the Old Testament. From, you know, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the 600 and something laws. He said, those don't apply anymore. It's what he told the lawyer in, in Matthew, I believe it's 22nd chapter of Matthew. <clears throat> he said, now there's only two laws. Love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two laws that guide us. That's our plumb line. You know, and when we do, when we don't follow those, you know, I thought, oh, gosh, it's Mother's Day and I haven't called my mother. I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother. That's, that's the plumb line speaking to me. That's the Holy Ghost inside you, talking to you, keeping you straight. Now, that's not for your eternal salvation. That's finished. That's already over with. That's what Christ did for us when he met the Lord's plumb line on the law. He satisfied the law. You have met the law because of Christ on your eternal salvation. But day in, day out living, living day to day, you've got this plumb line inside you. It's a spirit inside you. And it's one. It's what gives you what we call, some people call it a conscience. I've got a conscience. When I, I may sin, then when I realize it, I feel guilty. Or if I think, oh, I don't want to go here, Brother Steve, this morning because I want to go. Sorry, Sister Peggy, I'm going to say the, I'm going to watch the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. She's going to go to the Baltimore Ravens, but I know. <clears throat> I'm going to watch the Dallas Cowboys because they're playing in the Super Bowl today, and that's been 30 years since they've done that. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to go watch that again instead of going here and Brother Steve. And I sit down and I'm going, boy, do I feel guilty. I don't want to answer the phone. I don't want to talk to anybody because I ought to be in church, and I know I ought to be in church. You know, I know I need to do this. I need to go visit Sister So-and-so or Brother So-and-so in the hospital. That's your plumb line talking to you inside here. Over here you have, try to finish up here pretty quickly. Uh, over here in, in, in Psalms number 51, 
David had this exact problem we're talking about. David was a man of God's own. He was a man that God picked to be king of the nation. Yet he was a sinner like all of us. When he sinned, he felt guilty about it. And that's what Psalm 51 is all about. He said, Have mercy on me, O O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You know, David said back over there, he said in uh, 2 Samuel that I've... uh, uh, although my house is not right with God, yet he has given for me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure. I've got an everlasting covenant. He knows he's got a place in heaven. You've got a place reserved in heaven, or you wouldn't have a conscience if you weren't a child of God already. And he says, but take away my transgressions. He said, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Uh, down in verse 4, against thee and against thee only have I sinned. You commit a sin, and I may think I'm sinning against Brother Steve, but if I'm violating one of Christ's two laws, to love my neighbor as myself, I'm sinning against God. I'm sinning against God, all three gods. And he said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all my inequities. And he's down there in verse 12, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. He knows he has eternal salvation, but he doesn't feel good about it because I've been sinning. I don't deserve it. That's what it is to be a sinner. I realize I don't deserve it. But when you understand, when you're trying to do the best you can, you follow God's law and you do the things that the Lord would have you do, I feel good. You know, if you go and you find somebody at, at Christmas time that's in really need of help, a lot of help, you go say, I'm going to go buy a basket of food and a basket of some gifts for the kids, and I'm going to leave it on that person's doorbell, and I'm going to ring the bell, and I'm disappearing. Well, if I stay there, they're going to give me credit. Thank you for what we appreciate, and I'm getting a lot of glory, and I feel good about it. And I've used maybe some of, of money that I have that I didn't need that I go buy these, and I get a credit. But if I leave them on the doorstep and I leave, and they come and they've got a basket of food and, and toys for their children, what do they say? Thank the Lord. And the Lord tells us when you do that, he'll make sure you get your reward. Now, that's your plumb line talking to you. That's what it's talking. And that's what David said. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. When you do that, you feel good. And the Lord gives you that security feeling on the inside. Go over here into Matthew because Jesus tells us the same way in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes through the Sermon on the Mount and it's a great thing to read at least about once a year, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a great guideline for your for your plumb line telling you that you're in plumb. Go through and read that and do the things he tells you. And he gets over to the end, verse 24 of chapter 7. Therefore, whosoever hears these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken it unto him unto the wise man which built his house upon a rock. You build it on a rock and you build it with a plumb line. It's solid and it's secure. Now, you're not talking about a literal house. talking about personal your personal house, your personal tabernacle that you live in. And when the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that, it fell not because it was founded upon a rock. You know, rains are going to come. Storms are going to come in our life. But when you've got a solid foundation, when you come to church and you hear Brother Stephen preach and you pray and you read your Bible and you do the things we're supposed to do to take care of our neighbors, then you're solid. And you know when hard times hit, well, I trust the Lord to get us through this. Sometimes we'll say, Lord, can you figure out a way to handle this problem? I shouldn't say, I should say, Lord, let me trust in you that you've already got this problem figured out. He's already got it figured out ahead of time. We just need to trust him and believe in him that he will. 
And he says, it goes on, he says, And every one that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto the foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat upon that house, and it fell, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The house fell, not the man. And you know, if, you, if you're not doing the things the Lord has directed you to do, then when troubles come, it's going to cause you a lot of pain, a lot of agony. And we know that it's going to cause a lot of troubles of us in this world. And that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about your eternal salvation, like just like Israel. He said, these are my people that I'm holding plumb line and I'm giving judgment against, but it's judgment against their current sins. So what we want to be is we want to be a plumb line. And that's straight. That's right. That's our goal. And that's what you've got a plumb line inside you that tells you how to be that straight. Sometimes I don't do it. Sometimes I'm going to vary. And I, say, I know I ought to be in church today, and I know I should have stayed home and read my Bible. I know I should have done this, and I feel guilty about that. But when you stay true to this plumb line, and that's what he's talking about here. You're going to be secure, and you're going to feel good, and you're going to be like the man that built his house on rock. What we don't want is to be a pendulum. Pendulum goes back and forth. And we all know, we've all seen examples of somebody that's been out of the church for a while, and then they come back. When they come back, they're more righteous than any of us. You know, they're more holier than thou. And that's what they do. They end up going in and out and in and out. What you want to be is you want to be that plumb line. The straight to This ought to be our goal. We get away from it. It ought to be just for a little bit until our conscience wakes us up. Then we should respond and come back to that plumb line. We serve a wonderful God who gives us wonderful guidance. He's already given us the end of the story. We have eternal salvation. You know you have it in your heart or you wouldn't be here today. You know you don't deserve it. That's part of following the plumb line. I don't deserve it. Whatever good things happen to me, I need to thank the Lord. Whenever bad things happen, I need to ask the Lord, help me get through these bad things. And he'll honor that. I appreciate your kind attention. My prayer is that the Lord richly bless each of you.